Hi everyone and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that looks upwards, downwards and sideways at the week's events in football, whilst also covering what lies ahead. It's also the show that believes that the jelly stuff you find in pork pies is evil. Just pure, pure evil. Joining me today, as always, is Sir Howard of Hockenshire, who sounds quite offended by that comment. It's just a bit, and a, yeah. <laughs> and a new signing we've made that's sure to get us into trouble with FFP further down the line, Ali Fogg. Morning, Ali. How are you? I'm very well. I come very cheap, guys. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, but our budget's so slender, FFP is going to be breathing down our neck on this. Howard, how are you today, sir? Yeah, all right. You've offended me already, but never mind. It's disgusting. If you heat it up, it's oh, just don't even get me started. Yeah, you don't. Right. You don't talk for the Friday show on matters of pork pies and cuisine. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, I shouldn't have my place on that one. I admit. Yeah, we're going to start today with what's been in the news, and um, a particular player has been in the news, which is one Erling Haaland, um, a phenomenon no less, a player who whose ceiling we just don't know. How, how high he is at this point. Um, what do you guys make of him? Uh, how far can he go in a game? Um, and yeah, let's start with that. Uh, Ali. He's got a hell of a left peg, isn't he? <laughs> mm. That second goal that he scored in the Champions League the other night, the, the speed that that boot left it, that the ball left his boot was quite phenomenal. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's the real deal. I'm not quite sure what deal he is, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, he's fast, he's direct, he's like an, an old Premier League number nine in many ways. Um, and it's, it's really exciting to see how he develops. I think he's got an awful lot of learning to do. Um, if he is going to kind of become the, the, um, absolute megastar that I think many people feel he can be. There are aspects to his game that he needs to work on a lot, uh, but it's going to be a fun few years watching it come to fruition. Okay. Uh, Howard, um, have you seen much of him or is it kind of like, I hold my hands up here and say most of what I've seen of him has been via Twitter and kind of GIFs, etc., and and stats, which just absolutely astound. Yeah. Uh, is that the same of you? Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's 19, so he's, He's just burst onto the scene and he's played for two attractive sides, which helps him. Uh, mm. But let's not understate his ridiculous scoring record. Uh, <laughs> even coming on as a sub when he joined Dortmund, he's just, you know, and then gets three goals, but he's playing in, in 23 the, minutes. Yeah, he's, he's not playing in, you know, Salzburg were hardly a, a cautious side. Uh, yeah, it, well, he experiences, I did watch them actually the night, uh, but. Most of the experience is still like it feels like a YouTube experience that you've, but that's it. He's scoring so much that, you know, <laughs> you watch a game and it feels like you're watching a YouTube video. He's, a, a, I think he's puzzling a lot of people because he's a, a bit of a hybrid player. He's, he's six foot three. Yeah. So you expect him to be a target man, but he's got a good, a good, good feet for a big man. Uh, but he's a poacher. But as you say, that goal the other night, it wasn't in the corner, but you can't blame the keeper because it was in the back of the net before you you blink, you know, in the blink of an eye, really. He's got a bit of everything, and he's fast. He's really fast. Oh, yeah. Apparently, he did 60 metres in almost a world record time the other night, and he works hard. So, yeah, he's a fascinating player. And obviously, the first thing City fans are saying is, why didn't we sign him up? Because his dad, obviously. Uh, and there's a, there's a photo of him at the cup final against Sunderland in 2014, I think. Yeah. But of course, this is real life doesn't work like football manager. It seems, you know, Dortmund did a deal very quickly. If anyone, it was United who were more interested. So I don't know if City had any interest. And if they're now going for him, it seems a bit weird that they've, they've waited until he signs for someone else. But he's not going to go. He's just joined Dortmund. Let's not talk about him moving on, really. It just seems a bit ridiculous to even talk like that. But he would be a, he's certainly one to watch, maybe the one to watch as a striker in Europe right now. Well, Dortmund kind of made sense for him, didn't it? I mean, Lewandowski before him, um, Aubameyang, um, you know, these are strikers who basically go there, really prove themselves, really come on in in giant strides and then get their kind of your mega move and, and go up right into the elite. Um, and we've seen this time again. I mean, just to detail some of his, his stats, not including the 16 games he played for 
Brian in, in Norway when he was basically 11 years old or something. <laughs> Harland has scored 39 goals in his 60 professional appearances so far for Mulder, uh, Red Star, um, Salzburg and Borussia Dortmund. 39 goals in 60 games and he's still a teen. Um, his introduction to Champions League football last year saw him scoring five consecutive games, a feat that's only been shared by Rebrov, Neymar, Ronaldo and Lewandowski. He scored nine goals once in a World Cup under 20 games. <laughs> um, and as you said, Howard, you know, his debut for Dortmund, he scored a hat-trick in 23 minutes. So we just don't know how far this is going to go. He reminds me in many ways in terms of the kind of, you know, early phenomenon that he's being, it, the, the original Ronaldo. I, I can't recall being this fascinated by a player. Um, uh, you know, I was, I was a lot younger back then, but the kind of, you know, the original Ronaldo, when he first came through at PSV, it was like, wow, who is this player? You know, what's he going to go on to achieve? So, um, so yeah, so let's move on to the possibility. And, and you did touch on it, Howard, but Ali, what's your take on the possibility of City signing him down the line? Uh, there is a connection there. Uh, certainly, you know, he'd be a, a signing that the fans would absolutely love. Um, could you see that happening, you know, a year down the line, two years, maybe? I don't really buy into the connections argument. I think modern footballers and modern football is such a, a global business. Um, I, I mean, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, lads like Haaland has got connections to so many clubs. I mean, people were talking about the Solskjaer connection to United, and I'm sure there's lots of other clubs around Europe could uh, could put a claim on him in one way or another. Uh, so, you know, fans tend to get romantic about things like that, but I don't think players, and certainly not agents, uh, uh, get well, caught up. Yeah, that's I, think, I think there's yeah. much more of an issue that I'm not convinced, certainly at the moment, um, looking at his movement and touch uh, and kind of close control. I'm not sure he's a Pep Guardiola player at the moment, he may become so. He could possibly be turned into a Guardiola player. Um, but I don't see him really working with City as he is now. Um, now, it could well be that his his tactical play and, and his touch and close control and, and those other things that we're still looking at do improve significantly in the next couple of years because, you know, he is still a lad. Um, if he does, it would be fantastic to see him there. Um, I... I, I think it's unlikely, to be honest. He doesn't look like a Pep player to me. Um, obviously, if he's still uh, on the up and still at Dortmund when Pep moves on from City and we get another manager, then the whole equation uh, could change. But that obviously takes the lid off a whole different can of worms that we probably <laughs> would do right now. Well, I find that fascinating and I completely agree about, you know, that there is certain, particularly his decision-making, I think, but that will come with, with age. But... I think it's fascinating that we've got a player ourselves in Jesus um, and then there's Haaland. Both these players, when you look at their scoring record, when you look at their stats, you're just absolutely taken aback. But when you see them in the flesh and you see that the mistakes that they make and, and you know, the kind of flaws, if you like, um, you see that the whole package there, don't you? And I think those two strikers really are good examples of how statistical data should just be something that's incorporated into your thinking rather than for it to completely paint your kind of uh, your, your judgment on the player. Um, okay, yeah, well, let's move I, on. I, sorry, can, oh, sorry. I, can I come in, Howard? Uh, don't you think that Haaland is kind of almost like the exact inverse of, of Jesus, at least at the moment? I mean, Jesus is in a bit of a run of form or, or whatever the opposite of that is. But Jesus... Everything about his game is absolutely wonderful until at the moment he's three yards in front of goal yeah. Yeah. and he and he does something incredibly stupid. <laughs> uh, that's his problem. Whereas Haaland at the moment, um, he doesn't appear to be doing uh, you know, anything too spectacular until he's yeah. got the, the ball at his feet somewhere in and around the box, in which case, bang, it's in the back of the net. Um, so if we could somehow combine the two of them, <laughs> you would have like you know, the, the greatest striker the world has ever seen. But that's another thing with, with Jesus as well is, you know, as as we saw again this week, you know, with his, with his missed chances, and it does frustrate. But then again, you go back to his strike rate, and and it's like, well, where have all these goals coming from? Have I have I somehow missed all these goals because I'm seeing him miss so many? Um, it kind of reminds me of Manchester United a couple of years ago when they were you know high up in the league, and you think, how have they got that high up in the league? You know, considering <laughs> they seem to lose every week. And yet somehow they're there. And, you know, mathematically that has to be the case. And 
So that's the same with Jesus. But that kind of leads us on in, in a way to um, City's transfer plans this summer. Um, yeah, there was a lot of talk about the possibility of us uh, buying a, a striker, uh, a replacement for Sane, of course, as well, and uh, and a centre back certainly, and a left back and a midfielder. And now with uh, last week's ban, um, no one really knows where we're going with this. No one knows what the kind of end result will be. How much does that complicate and affect City's transfer strategy in the summer, Howard? Oof, enormously. I think it's one of the key factors, and yeah in the argument or in City's desire to get this done quickly. I mean, we've yeah. seen totally conflicting reports. You can, If you want to look into this span, you can find any angle you want from people who seem to think they know what, you know, they've got the inside track. So there's people saying it will rumble on for years, but I guess it all depends on, first, what Cass decide. But it's enormous. If you're, you know, sort of big play, if you're a big player, in-demand player, and City are still arguing over this, and as it stands, have a suspend, let's say, suspended two-year ban whilst it goes to Cass, then you're going to be very, very wary of joining because you know it's still a possibility that you won't have any European football for two years. And that really limits the sort of play you can go for. Some players, look at United's recruitment, they've been in the Europa League, but the top players probably don't want to play in that either, to be fair. They want to be in the Champions League. That's where it's at. You can still get the players, but City will really have to tone down their their targets for quite a while. One year, you know, it may there's a, a possibility to be downgraded. One year would probably most players would settle for that. Maybe not the very very elite, but are City really going to go out this summer? Were they really going to go and try and get Mbappe or someone like that? Probably not. No. So. I think one year makes such a big difference for two years, but zero years makes an even bigger one. I was told like a few years ago that City have like folders, you know, on potential targets and they're graded yeah. like A, B, C or whatever. So you've got your top targets and like dossiers on the player. And I think the, yeah. the uncertainty will, you know, pretty much force City to start looking at the B's rather than the A's. So it really is something for many reasons. Just they don't know how much money they'll have to spend. And the players just will be reticent about coming, and the agents will know this as well. Something that really wants they want to sort it out by the summer. Um, Ali, do you think City the strategy right now is to just and, and perhaps this can be extended beyond transfer strategy to the overall kind of running of the football club? Do you think they're basically their best strategy right now is just to carry on, carrying on um, until? You know, Cass makes his decision and things are, are more kind of cemented. Do you think, for example, with a, with a transfer target, they're thinking, well, let's just pursue this line anyway and then we'll kind of, um, you know, divert if, if necessary? I honestly don't know where it'll be at. You would, I would like to think um, that they will just assume it will all work itself out in the end, yeah. one way or another, and just, you know, continue as if nothing had happened. And certainly in... Um, in the dressing room and in Pep's head and in the players' heads, that was that's where I would like them to be at the moment. Um, whether in the real world that's actually possible to function like that, uh, I I honestly don't know. I'm not convinced about this thing that um, players won't come to a club if they don't have Champions League football. Um, just looking around over recent years, the various clubs that didn't get into Europe for one reason or another, uh, and continued to sign big name players. I mean, United brought in Pogba, I mean, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> while they were, you know, looking at at least one year out of the Champions League, and it's turned into two, I think, since then. Um, so, you know, players will do it, particularly if there's a uh, an agent looking at a wage bill and all that kind of thing. There are other issues as well as the Champions League. Um, and of course, you know, players can go to a club, uh, play in the group stages and get knocked out and, and not actually play. And they know that. And, you know, it, it's sport. Anything can happen. Um, I mean, I, 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 I've been really, we haven't talked about accountancy, uh, so far in the first 15 minutes today. And I'm delighted <laughs> about that. And I'll try and continue to not talk about accountancy because, uh, it, it, uh, sucks the very marrow from my soul when we do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I kind of uh, I like to think that the co- the club is as confident as they have appeared to be this week 
that they are in the right and they will be able to prove that they are in the right. Um, and I'm not talking about you know, morally in the right. I've got no doubt about that at all. But within the rules, um, mm. they will be able to demonstrate that, that um, they have played the game that UEFA told them they had to play uh, and it'll all work out in the end. Um, but of course, it's not just about who's in the right. And, and it could well be the case that the accountants and the lawyers and Soriano and everyone else at City genuinely believes that they have done what UEFA needed them to do and that they have kept the rules. And the accountants and the lawyers and whoever else at UEFA uh, disagree. You know that that's yeah. that's actually quite probably what the what the situation is at the moment, and which of those comes out in the end. Um, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm certainly not an international sports lawyer, which is a very specialised thing. And I think it should be commented that virtually none of the people who are commenting about City uh, know anything about international business corporate law. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. top of the list there are the football journalists who, by and large, got their jobs because they're good at talking about football and they're at least supposed to understand football. They're not supposed to understand law and accountancy. So I've got as much faith in, in Soriano and in um, MCFC's accountants and lawyers and all the rest of it as I do in our management and our players and our medical team and our nutritionists and everybody else in the club because we do employ the very best people. And my firm belief is in the end that, that we will come to be uh, you know, proven right on that. Um, so in terms of transfer policy, all we can do is, is try and plough on. Uh, whether or not that's possible, um, I honestly don't know. I, I can't get in the head of, of a, you know, a top agent and say, you know, do I want my star player to go to a club that's not going to have Champions League for two years um, or where the wage bill might be constrained or, or whatever else might come up. Um, and does anyone know? I really doubt they do. Um, I, I, what I would like uh, one thing I will say sorry I know, I know I've been rambling on I haven't had the chance to talk to anyone in detail about the, the whole city business this week so I'm getting yeah. all out of my chest <laughs> in one rant are you lying on a couch right now I'm very close literally am yeah uh, uh, but what, <laughs> my one hope is that out of all of this, City uh, use it as an opportunity to look at our own young players slightly harder than we otherwise would have done. Um, mm. So we were talking about uh, family connections earlier with Haaland and all the rest of it. Uh, let's talk about Tommy Doyle instead. You know, I would much rather talk about him and talk about uh, Harwood Bellis and, and, of course, Bill Foden. And, and you know, we, we've got a, a full first 11 of amazing players coming through um, and whatever happens with, with UEFA, FFP, transfer policies, all the rest of it, uh, you know, one, one of the, the uh, rays of light or, or silver linings is, um, however it plays out, it is likely to help those lads, I think. Well, let's hope so. And then certainly, as well, if we do bring through, uh, like the, the three you mentioned, and, and um, we could be seeing a repeat of what's happened with Chelsea, where a club that, you know, was so regularly kind of stereotyped as being all about money and investment, et cetera, et cetera, uh, has received a lot of positive praise uh, in the media this season. And, and that'd be nice as well, just for a nice change for City to be talked about in quite a nice fashion. But um, but that's for the future. And certainly, I think if it is resolved, we are looking at an early summer resolution, aren't we? Uh, and there's an irony there that we, we did a pod a few weeks ago talking about the transfer... Um, Deadline day being put back. Uh, that could be a blessing now for City uh, to just give us extra time to bring some players in if it is resolved this summer and we're able to do so. Hey, this is so, the year where we'll be on transfer deadline day desperately watching Sky Sports News again. Oh, no. I can't remember that one. For, uh... <laughs> we've, only ever ha- we, we've only ever had one, haven't we? Just the actual, the first one when, with Rubinho. That was the only real one. Or am I am I right in saying that the only time where there's been any real drama with City on transfer deadline day? Well, we, in the old days, we were desperate for like loan deals and stuff, so that kept you oh, that yeah, kept yeah, yeah. you in jest, yeah. but at such a low level that nowadays you wouldn't even turn the TV on for <laughs> to find out. So yeah, but it's you know to have a that day again, just that oh, what a wonderful day that was. Just yeah. you know because we were in for Berbatov. Oh, we're getting Berbatov. Oh no, we've suddenly got Rabinia. <laughs> What a surreal day that was. So, looking back to the actual footballer this week, 
um, the first game since the, you know, the news that shocked football uh, emerged. Um, it was a bit of a strange atmosphere at the game um, for one reason and another as well. I mean, it's half-term, a rearranged fixture, uh, a low crowd, um, a West Ham team that seemingly just wanted to keep the score to 2-0 from kickoff. Um Kind of straightforward game, so we'll only touch on it very briefly. But uh, what did you two make of the game itself? Um, what kind of stood out for you, uh, Ali? Uh, it was it was another one of those that we've had quite a few of lately. It was like the, the um, winter break had never happened. You know, uh, mm. you know, we we played pretty well for most of the game. We absolutely dominated it. We didn't convert our chances, and um, thankfully this time we we played at one 0 for ages, and then we got the second goal. Uh, yeah, playing so many yeah. other times in, in this season. It's been the other team that's nicked that goal. Uh, so, you know, all's well, ends well. And it was fine. We played pretty well. Um, although our uh, uh, profligacy, if I can use that cliched word, uh, in front of goal is still a concern. Um, we talked about Jesus earlier. You know, obviously he was the main culprit. Um, although it was it was noticeable how little uh, Aguero, how, how few sniffs Aguero go and I, yeah, and yeah. Whenever before, I, I've always loved seeing Aguero and Jesus playing together because they've tended to make more chances for each other um, than than either would alone. Um, it didn't quite work out on Wednesday night. Um, the only thing I that I haven't seen anyone else mention um, the best pass of the entire game was in about the 89th minute after Phil Foden had come on. And he, oh, yeah. he played that straight ball through to Jesus uh, that just, it, it seemed to stop dead at Jesus' feet within like <laughs> 12 yards out. And I don't know how he did it. And it was a phenomenal ball. And I jumped up and screamed. And then I screamed again when poor Gabby missed it. <laughs> 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 what, what a goal that would have been. Yeah. I mean, earlier on, there was one from De Bruyne where yeah. uh, it was kind of down the line. And, yeah. and that was such a weird pass because for eight tenths, of that pass, I was sure it was just going to go out of play. And then, like you said about the phone one, it just seemed to stop. Yeah. It just seemed to kind of lose my bet at exactly the right time. And it is incredible what we do these days. It's almost like golf, isn't it, now, where the kind of a spin that they put on the ball, uh, the control, you know, they can actually dictate that of when it basically slows down. Uh, Cruyff would have very much been in his element with the modern-day match balls. Um, what about you, Howard? What kind of stood out for you for the for the Hammers game? Yeah, it's just it was so low key. Uh, just surprised how low key and just West Ham in a way. I'm glad it was easy for City in a way because I want games to be yeah. easy. They need the points, or they kind of need the points. Points are always welcome, whatever the situation. But they really killed it as a spectacle because I don't think David Moyes really had any tactics apart from well, we'll just play quite deep. But they weren't very good at it. They had yeah, or City were. You know, they're certainly not as good as it as some other teams have been who've been super organised and made it super difficult. And looking at West Ham's fixture list, that is, that is a club in big, big trouble. Because I think they've got Liverpool, yeah. Arsenal, Chelsea coming up, maybe United. I don't know. They've got some big games anyway. Uh, yeah, it was like a training pit. I, I have to, I'll disagree with Ali that you could sense that there's been a winter break because there was a, a rustiness about it. And for that reason, I thought City were pretty, the intensity was pretty good with that in mind. And we got everything out the night we needed to. But it wasn't as... Yeah, it was a lot low, more low-key than I thought. Uh, to be honest, part West Ham, part the crowd, just... The weather. God, the fatigue, it was miserable. Yeah, yeah. The city was yeah, gridlocked. I know there's people queuing outside, not making excuses. But, you know, it's just a rearranged game. It was just... That's the thing, though. That's not an excuse. That's a reason, isn't it? You know, yeah, it was, a, see- it was one of those yeah. miserable midnight games that feels like a, a chore. But after not seeing football for ages, I was really excited to go to this game. Uh, but it was just too much of a procession to actually keep my interest, you know, to keep me excited for 90 minutes. The atmosphere had, yeah, was quiet at times, and then there was ripples and noise and stuff. But I think there's a fan base in a way that are just, as I say, quite tired of everything that's going on at the moment. Rather than being wound up and passionate about what's happening, it's it's quite the opposite. It will be different, yeah. of course, when Real Madrid come into town. I was about to say that exact same thing. This game really was a warm up in every sense, wasn't it? Yeah. Not just in footballing terms, but in terms of kind of the supporters getting back into uh, the thrust of things, given what's gone on as well. 
uh, and I'm sure it'll be very, very different against Madrid. Uh, just touching on the Hammers, what really surprised me personally was, because you said there about we've seen teams turn up at the Etihad, highly organised, frustrating, you know, throughout. Um, and one of those teams was West Ham for me two years ago under David Moyes. Mm. Uh, I thought they were exceptionally well organised. I think, I'm not sure, I think it, it needed a, an Aguero penalty to settle it. Um, so that really kind of surprised me, the way... Not just not the way they were, they were set up. I expected that from the David Moyes side, but how poorly they were at implementing that. Um, they just kept on giving the ball away, didn't they? So they couldn't. When they got rare, it, they couldn't keep it for the no. Nor did they know what to do. And yeah, and then Antonio was so isolated. Yeah. So um, I mean, this is a, a rare instance of me partially defending David Moyes in that I think it's not so much how he set the team up, but the actual players themselves did not do themselves any justice. They did not look like a team who, who were fighting relegation. I, remember, I recall a, a time in the first half where it was down kind of um, the, the city right uh, right wing area, and they, on three occasions in the space of 30 seconds, city players got to the ball quicker. De Bruyne yeah. on one occasion, Aguero again. And and this is in a, you know, a, a dangerous area for West Ham, and City players are, you know, a yard behind and making up that yard. I mean, that's on the players. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's all, just, that's all uh, you just remind me of the key thing. They And this is a Moyes in a way, because surely this comes from him. They had no intention of pressing our defence whatsoever. Oh, so, that's true. So they that's allowed true. us to get to the halfway line with very, very little pressure. Now, that's yeah. not the way to play City. It's to put us under pressure. It's to match our pressing with the same thing to make it difficult for us to get out. Obviously, City can pass the ball, you know, very highly technical players who can get around that press. But West Ham, you could see when City regained possession, they just all suddenly dropped back. They just weren't interested in playing football, mm. really, and were just looking to get men goal side of the ball at all times. And it was just such a passive performance. Well, if, if you play a pressing game... By its very nature, you know, you've got adrenaline surging through your body. You are kind of pumped up. You're up for it because you're playing a pressing game. If you are playing that style of football where you're dropping back, you're dropping off, that kind of, you know, you can't just flick a, a switch on, can you? Kind of, you know, and just kind of up the tempo at will. So that does affect kind of um, the overall kind of intensity of, of, of your football, I think, yeah. as well. Um, okay, so let's, let's move ahead to the Leicester game. Um, against West Ham, City played uh, Otamendi and Laporte at the back. Um, we've got the games coming now thick and fast. And of course, we've got Real Madrid on the horizon. Um, Ali, do you think, uh, once the West Ham game was rearranged, do you think Pep has basically sat down and thought, right, this is my team for West Ham, this is my team for Leicester, this is my team for Real Madrid. And if, if with that in mind, what defence do you think that he's going to start with against Leicester, given the fact that they've really troubled us in the past and this season uh, by hitting us on the break. Um, can you see Laporte starting again? Is two games too soon I, uh, at this point? Yeah, I think Laporte is the only one I've got doubts about. I think Pep might rest him uh, on mm. on Saturday. Um, that other than that, I mean, it, it's, our, our players have just had what, two and a half weeks off or whatever, and yeah, most of them should be perfectly capable of playing uh, three games in seven days, eight days, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, there's a lot to be said for um, keeping them in the groove. Uh, and I think often our players play better when they're playing every three days uh, than when they've got a week off, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. until obviously they break down, which happens sooner or later. Uh, I, um, I, I think, I suspect... Uh, we're we're kind of playing two dimensional chess while uh Pep is playing seven dimensional chess as usual. Um he won't just be thinking about resting players or, or you know keeping them safe from injury or whatever. Um he will have weird tactical experiments going on in his head. So he's quite likely to, to pick a kangaroo and, and like a left back or something because that's what Pep does. Um <laughs> Uh, but if 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 he was uh, if he was just worrying about getting through the three games, um, yeah, I think he'll give Laporte a break, um, and he'll yeah, uh, he will probably have 
an eye on what his team is going to be against Madrid, and I've got no idea what that is. And he's more likely to be interested in uh, rehearsing for that or getting players up to speed for his uh, for the Madrid tie than he is about resting players from Madrid tie. I think um, but uh, because yeah, of, uh. because I cannot even begin to attempt to guess what Pep's tactics to play Real might be. Um, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on, on how we will use the Leicester game. I will say, though, I think they said, uh, the Leicester is just about a perfect tie for us to be playing as a rehearsal for Real Madrid. Agreed, yes. And the fact, yeah. the fact that we've got a four-point lead on them as well, it doesn't even matter that much if we drop points. We'll still be ahead of them. Um, it takes a little bit of pressure off. And uh, it, there, there's, kind of, there's something a little bit Real Madrid about, uh, uh, about the way they're playing uh, this year. And obviously... Tactically, not not in terms of accomplishment, um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a, a really good dry run for us. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to the Leicester game. Put my feet up and, and see see what we can do. Okay, I'm, I've been desperately trying to find a joke involving Tony Buck being nicknamed Skip and Skippy and playing it right back. <laughs> and about it. It's, I just can't get it to work. But so <laughs> so, Howard, a different question. Um, still staying on the Leicester game. Um, how do you see the midfield shaping up? Because hopefully, God willing, David Silva um, will be returning for Real Madrid, but you're highly doubtful for Saturday. Yeah. Um, so who who do you think he might start in there? Could Phil get a game? Um, or, or will it be Gundo as per? Yeah, I, I don't... I think both, as Ali said, I've no idea. So that's your top-class analysis from me. Done. <laughs> <laughs> These two games are preparation for Real Madrid, which I think would explain why. And I never really expected Phil Foden to start in the Bernabeu, so I don't. I really don't expect him to start against Leicester because I think the, two, yeah. the players involved are ones that may feature against Real Madrid. I uh, imagine Pep knows most of the team. There's still uncertainties. Raheem Sterling is in light training, so will he be fit next Wednesday? We don't know yet. Uh, Fernandinho to come back in seems pretty likely because he'll want some minutes in his legs. Otherwise, I think it's... I don't know if you can really tell. The team he picks is what will, will be mirrored against Real Madrid, because he never keeps the same team anyway for two successive games. Maybe he's just right. trying to get as many minutes in as many players as possible, so that he's got options for the Real Madrid game. So it all depends on the fitness levels. As Alice said, they've not played for ages, but you can't... The count match fitness is a totally different thing. So we don't know if Laporte's got it in him. He'll probably not play, I think, against Leicester. Uh, and I don't think he'd want to bring him on for 20 minutes e- either because that's an easy way to get a muscle injury if you've been out for ages. So it's very hard to say what he's going to pick. I think there's certain players you know can play again. I think Kevin De Bruyne, Borca, Mendy. Now, is Mendy now... Do we now assume that he's he's not coming off an injury and he's he can play three games a week? We don't know. Obviously, mm. City staff no more. So there's plenty of ifs, maybes, and if Sergio could play three in a week, we'd, it's very hard to say. And I don't think we should really take what the team he picks here as a much of a pointer about what he'll do against Real Madrid because he could go left field Real Madrid as he's done in the past. So I think. Basically, it's just a case of getting minutes in a lot of players for me and then then waiting to see whatever he does when the team comes out on Wednesday. I mean, I, I go along with all that. I, 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 don't, I can't see Laporte starting against Leicester, nor can I see him coming on, as you say. Um, I really can't see him starting against Leicester City with Otamendi and John Stones as defence, um, not given the fact that, you know, the mishaps and chaos that, they've, uh, that has occurred when the two of them have played together in the past. Yeah. Um, I think Leicester could just pick us off at will on those occasions. So I think it's going to be Fernandinho and I think he'll be looking to play Fernandinho for 90 minutes against Leicester and then 90 minutes against Real Madrid. And given his importance to the team, um, I'm going to be spending, you know, most of Saturday just dreading um, Ferner going down at any point in the game. If he gets through it, then great. Um, because exactly as you guys have said, you know, this is a perfect kind of game, really, ahead of Real Madrid. Mm. A real high-intensity, challenging game. So, um, 
in that regard, you could look back at these, you know, fixtures and say, okay, well, you know, West Ham was a warm up. Uh, Leicester was the kind of, you know, the final kind of friendly, if you like, before going to the majors. And then you've got the uh, Real Madrid game. So it's kind of worked out well, this rescheduling um, yeah. after the, the awful weather. So, um, yeah. So let's look at uh, another game this weekend in our fixture in focus, which is Chelsea against Spurs. Um, concentrating mainly on the latter, um, because that seems to be where there's a lot of talk right now regarding Jose Mourinho and his team. Um Mourinho has said his team's in trouble due to injuries and having no fit strikers. Uh, my question to you, Ali, is realistically, how much trouble are they in? Uh, I would have said a lot more had they not turned us over three weeks ago, whenever it was. <laughs> um, because, you know, I've got all my all, all my jokes that I've currently got filed away that I can't use right now about Mourinho and Spurs uh, and snide remarks and, and all the rest of it. But no, fair play to them. They mugged us um, the, the other week. Uh, and so um, that causes me to take everything Mourinho says and everything that, you know, uh, objective evidence would, would appear to suggest about where Spurs are at, at the moment. Um, I think the, the, the situation is quite similar for Spurs and Chelsea. They both got a lot of problems. They both got um, uh, injuries and players missing and uh, issues up front and all the rest of it. Um, and yet they're kind of both muddling through. I mean, I've actually been really impressed with Chelsea this year. Uh, we talked about their young mm. players earlier and, and uh, Lampard's done a great job with it. I've still got a lot of time for Lampard, as I think most City fans still do, after his little cameo with us a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I, uh, uh, I find it easier to cheer uh, Chelsea along under Lampard than I do to cheer <laughs> Spurs along under Mourinho. Um, oh, yeah. But it, it's kind of, it, it feels a little bit like... Uh, too, I don't know if it's two lame ducks pecking at each other this weekend or whether it's two wounded animals. Um, I guess we'll find out uh, when Monday, whenever the game is, uh, we'll find out which one's the lame duck and which one's the wounded animal. Okay. Uh, Howard, uh, Spurs fans were kind of worried about the style of football that they've um, seen uh, under Mourinho. Uh, and now it feels like that's almost a necessity with not having Son and, and Kane. Um, the pair are responsible for just shy of half of Tottenham's league goals this season. Um, does Mourinho have no other choice now but to basically play Mourinho football? Whew. Uh, does he need an excuse anyway? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Well, that, yeah, yeah. That's the thing that yeah. stood out. For, I mean, I hate the guy. And to watch a passion <laughs> burn at Spurs would be absolutely delightful. And I saw you know, stuff saying, well, he's actually picked up more points since he joined in the league than, you know, he was like third in the, the fourth yeah, yeah, I've, but I've watched plenty of them. You know, they're to the means, no two ways about it. And, you know, showing up in the Champions League, they've not been playing that well. They obviously got away with it against us, but in other games too, you know, just look at their winner at Villa Park. It's, that's the thing that has stood out in Mourinho. And I think he's a, you know, busted flush anyway. Uh, that what what were his strengths in the past just don't work anymore. It's just is that how open their defence has been when I've watched them. So maybe he will revert to type. And yeah, he has to sort that defence out. Irrelevant of whether Kane and Son were fit, they were just the two open. The yeah, they've got good defenders there who look like Sunday League defenders at times for me. And that must mm. be something to do with the new manager. Because we know, we've seen them perform for years in the past. So, yeah, I think he will go a bit more cautious now. He will pack the midfield. Who who can he play up front? You know, there's not many options, really. So, it, it, it'll be, he, you're right, he may turn games into more of a battle. Uh, but against Chelsea, who it's one of those games where anything could happen because Chelsea is so up and down and the home form is just very disappointing indeed I, you know I don't really see much progress from Frank Lampard but obviously he'll be judged more on his second his second season when he's had a, a proper transfer window and time to really organise the side but you know yeah. he's got his own problems Batshuayi having to play up front just you know he was terrible against United uh, 
these are, as you said, two sides that just need a lot of work done on them in the summer. It could be a case of uh, who is least terrible on uh, Saturday lunchtime, to be honest. It it could be a very, I think it could be a very scrappy game. Yeah, well, Chelsea have lost more games than Sheffield United or Spurs or Manchester United or Arsenal this season. Mm. Uh, but as you said, they have been very up and down. But if they are up on Saturday... Um, it really could be a training ground exercise of just Spurs, you know, camping um, with 10 behind the ball. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. But, Ali, should Chelsea go on to win and get the three points, uh, Spurs will be four points behind then uh, and possibly even end up the, uh, the end of the weekend in seventh place. What could be the knock-on effect to this? Because Arsenal are so out of it, really, for top four. I know that, there's, you know, it's still mathematically possible, but they've got a lot of catching up to do. Um it is one out of left field, but could, could Sheffield United do it? Oh, wouldn't you love it? It would just be amazing. It'd be fantastic. It, I mean, it would be, uh, in, in its own way, it would probably almost be better than Leicester winning uh, mm. three years ago. Um, just because, you know, I didn't go back to August and I don't think anybody tipped Sheffield United even to stay up. Uh, so, you know, football keeps throwing up these stories and particularly in the light of everything that's been said lately about... Um, uh, the 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 wealth of the big clubs killing the game and all the rest of it. Um, I think the the Sheffield United story this year just shows that up for the nonsense it is. Um, yeah, and uh, it's just wonderful. I mean, the the big story, of course, is um, in the same way as the year that Leicester won the title. Um, they won it because they were fabulous and and played out of their skins, but also because all the other teams had an absolute shocker of the of a year, uh, including us, and uh, and nobody was really challenging at the at the heights they should have been. Um, the story of this year is when you get below, uh, well, I was going to say below Leicester, but actually when you get below Sheffield United, really, um, everyone else has been so inconsistent, so poor, really. Um, I've been, uh, you know, I tipped. Spurs to finish second back in August. Uh, I, thought, I thought they'd made really good signings over the summer. I thought Pochettino was a great manager uh, who was mm. going to go on and do great things. Um, it really hasn't worked out. Uh, similarly, Chelsea have probably overperformed given the situation they, they were in. Um, but just, you know, all of them, uh, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, um, so disappointing and so inconsistent. And, and they've got so many problems. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that any of them deserve to finish uh, third or, or fourth. Or um, I guess one of them will, uh, possibly two of them will. There's the outside possibility that um, someone like United is going to get through because of the accountants finishing fifth. <laughs> and, and and there would there would there would almost be a, a certain. Uh, circularity to you know that, that that would kind of be what they would deserve that that's kind of what the um uh what uefa and the premier league and everyone else would deserve if they kicked out a beautiful team like city and ended up with a, like an absolute uh crapola like spurs getting through in fifth and, and clogging up a place in the champions league next year that would be exactly what they would deserve i love that clogging up a place yeah. <laughs> um how would any, any final thoughts on the top four battle? Because, like Ali said, there when, when Ali was mentioning about how people you know kind of not deserving to get in it and they seem like they don't really want it, and um, that seems to be the case for the past couple of years now. I mean, it's certainly the case last season, and I remember one three years ago as well, um, where teams it's almost like they didn't want to get fourth place, they were just kind of you know, it, it was basically the best of the bad bunch made it in the end. Um, so I don't know what that says about the league, um, how possibly it's top-heavy now with just two, whereas it used to be six. Um, there's, there's, perhaps it's that. There's a lot up in the air, really, but you know, I don't know where it's going. We don't know where City mm. are going. We don't know if Liverpool will now dominate, but we don't know if United will get their act together by hiring a... Oh, we know that. <laughs> Well, I don't we know. Will Solskjaer stay? What will Lampard do in his second season? What will Mourinho do? How much money will they get? How how will Arteta do? Or, or Leicester, Wolves, Sheffield United now? on a, There's always the assumption that before long, the, the traditional bigger clubs, Arsenal, United, Spurs, Chelsea, 
will reassert themselves and go back up above the likes of Wolves, Sheffield United, Leicester. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not yeah. so sure anymore. I've no idea yeah. what next season would hold will hold for these teams because United have been out of Champions League spots for a long, long time. Yeah, for many. It's not just a one-off. It's happened quite a few seasons, but they obviously have the resources to keep chipping away until they get it right. But teams like Arsenal or Tottenham with a new stadium, which brings in money but costs them so much to do in the first place, and Chelsea with abandoned plans for, you know, they want a new stadium, but they their accounts don't make any sense. And Abramovich is, you know, there's rumours he might sell up and he doesn't even come in the country anymore. They're very uncertain futures for, and they've taken, they obviously changed managers, so who knows? I think it's a very interesting time for that that area of you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, and it's a great opportunity for teams that haven't traditionally finished in those positions to to get you know basically if one of them, if Wolves or Sheffield United got into the Champions League, then they've obviously got the resources by being in the Champions yeah. League to then go on and strengthen even further. So very interesting times ahead. Of course, none of them do deserve it because it's called the Champions League. So <laughs> finishing fourth, yeah, finishing fourth just seems ridiculous. But it is what it is. Maybe it just needs a name change and an image change instead. So can I, can I add something no. else, Steve? Or you move on? Of course, uh, yeah. just on Arsenal. You said that they, um, they're well, I think six points off the the pace of fourth at the moment. Mm. Um, of all of those, uh, what you know, currently second tier teams. Um, I can see what the problem is. There, there are fundamental problems at United, and I can see what they are. There are fundamental problems at uh, Spurs, and I can see what they are. Uh, there are temporary problems at Chelsea, and I can see what they are. Um, I don't think Arsenal have really got any fundamental problems in, in that sense. They've now got a good team, and they've got a good manager, and they've really got no excuse. Uh, mm. So if there was going to be one of those teams that was going to be put on a... Uh, you know, Seven, eight, nine game uh, winning run, and and you know jump into that fourth spot or even third spot. Uh, Arsenal would be the one that I would back to do it. Um, but they have you know, uh, you know perennially underperformed not only this season but going back a few years, and they may well do it again. Um, but I just got a hunch that Arteta might be the the missing link that they've needed all that time. I'm not, I'm not optimistic, that optimistic about Arsenal at all, to be honest. If they what, don't what, finish top four, which they can't really yeah. from where they're at now, then you've got like Aubameyang, you know, players like Lacazette, Pepe will probably stay because he's not been there long enough to, you know, go straight out again. But they could lose players like that, and Aubameyang's already in his 30s. And they just never seem to sort the defence out. Really. They've still got a lot of purchasing to do. The good thing about them is they do really look to have a crop of good young players. And maybe that, by turning to them, that is the future for them, the brighter future. Yeah, well, I think Arsenal is the most fascinating club to watch in the next kind of 12 months, particularly because, you know, of Arteta, of course, and, and what their potential is um, and whether they'll flat, you know, fall flat on their face as they've done in the past. Uh, and just to kind of um, return to what you said, Howard, about kind of Wolves and Sheffield United and how they could be the new guys kind of breaking through. I interviewed a, a former Sheffield United player yesterday and I said, you know, as great as they've been, is this short-term success for Sheffield United? You know, can 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 you see next, you know, second season syndrome? I didn't want to say those words, so I was kind of alluding to them. And he said, well, no, anything but, because the club have invested in infrastructure and recruitment and, you know, the ownership issue has been resolved now. And so, you know, next season, they'll actually be stronger than they are this season. My, my, um, my advice to those two teams is don't become too successful as a City fan, because then you'll get the scrutiny we get. Sheffield <laughs> yeah, United, yeah. Saudi owned Wolves, are some dodgy money coming through Fosun in China. They were insolvent and they got a loan written off. Uh, yeah, I think this... Just, just, to, just to say, allegedly. allegedly. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, there is money coming through China, which is partly state-owned company, and it's like, don't become too successful, because then you might get a pious... Journalists looking into your affairs, and uh, but uh, yeah, so something Basically, tells me that they won't get quite the uh, the attention that City are getting right now. Yeah, basically have have a nice little kind of dance on the side of the stage, but whatever you do, don't stand beneath the spotlight. No, know your place. Know your place. Yes, uh, we're going to end this week by just highlighting a, a Twitter account 
Um, it's doing outstanding work. Um, it's MCFC Food Bank. So anyone on Twitter, that's at MCFC Food Bank. Uh, and to give it some kind of information about what uh, they do, uh, it's a fan-run kind of organisation, and it's you know we all know how food banks work, and sadly the necessity for them these days. Um, and as far as I know, uh, I've just been kind of looking up on this, but you know I, I'm willing to be corrected here. Um, there are certain clubs which led the way in this, and City were kind of lagging a bit behind. We've now caught up. City fans are pitching in and doing their bit. So give them a follow on Twitter. I think they're close to a thousand followers. Let's get that soaring. Um, and also, just as a general point, there's donation points uh, around Manchester. There's Asda in Hume. There's Tesco in Stretford, Chester Road. The Co-op on Wally Range and Wilbraham Road. And Superdrug in Piccadilly Gardens. Uh, these are places that you can drop off food uh, and just kind of help out. I saw a video today and it really struck a chord to me. It's from a, it was a, a Liverpool MP talking on Redman TV about actually City's kind of increased involvement in food banks. Um, and he, he just said a phrase which really struck a chord, which was, it's not charity, it's solidarity. It's basically people looking after people. Um, and the last thing I say as well, because like I said, I've just been doing, oh, there's a couple of things actually, sorry. Um, we will remind you closer to the time, but they are around on City match days, but only kind of at home games and not sadly a weeknight. We can't do weeknights right now. So, you know, there's some time yet for the next home game on a Saturday. So we will remind you. Uh, another thing is if, should you do drop off anything at food banks? Remember, obviously everything is welcomed. Of course it is. Um, but generally, it's, you know, tin peas, tin carrots, etc. Don't forget as well, toiletries are, are so, so welcomed. Uh, and something which I just saw before, and it's never really, because I give to food banks, and I've not done this before, and it's never even occurred to me before, dog food, cat food. Um, so that's, that's just us kind of giving a shout out to MCFC Food Bank. Check them out on Twitter, for, uh, give them a follow, and yeah. So I'd like to thank our guest today. Uh, Ali, thank you very much, mate. You've been brilliant. A pleasure, as always. And Howard, thank you, mate. Also a pleasure, as always. Right, Blues, let's get three points at the weekend. Let's take down Real Madrid, and then let's take down UEFA. In the meantime, up the Blues.